Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. Today we are wrapping up a very short series on finding God in some interesting places this summer. And the premise has been from the beginning that this is a special summer, of course. And God is going to meet us in that special summer. But how do we unpack that? Where is our vision trained to see God in the midst of our summer? And so we've gone to a couple different, different places this, these last couple weeks. We went to a ball field and saw how God calls us to create community around one another and to support and love one another in a common goal and a common purpose. Last week we went to a restaurant, all right, and we saw that when we go out into the world, we are not stepping into a world that God is looking to judge and burn down to the ground. We're stepping into a world that is good, and we step into that world looking for goodness. So as you go out, go looking for the remarkable things that God continues to do each and every day. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to them, I encourage you to do so. I'm going to do a commercial and say, go download the podcast. You can listen to these in your car as you're going wherever you want to go. So we come to the end of this, and I want to finally ask you, just to bring it up in your mind, what are your plans for this summer? We talk about this summer being awesome. What are some of the things that you plan on doing? I'm actually very encouraged that some of you are watching as you execute those plans right now. Some of you are already on vacation, going around, and you've decided to chime in to church anyway. Thank you very much for doing that. But as I've thought about what I'm about to do this summer, and yes, I'm getting ready to take a deep breath and a little time off, as I think about it, there's this narrative that starts going through in my head, and I wanted to run it past you and see if it sounds familiar to you. So summer starts rolling around, the kids are starting to get out of school, you're getting close to that time that you've taken off, and what you see in front of you is all I got to do, I just got to get through this list right here. There's a bunch of things I got to do, and then once I get through all of that, everything is going to slow down for me and it's going to be great. Y'all smiling like you don't know what I'm talking about. Sound right to you? That's exactly what happens to me every summer. And you know what never happens? It ne- Thank you, Jane. It never slows down. For as much as we are a society that loves time off, and there ain't nothing wrong with loving time off, we are an exhausted people. For people who are always looking to just get away from work, who are looking to reconnect, we are exhausted. And I suspect this year, because of the unique challenges we have faced for the entirety of a year, has a unique kind of exhaustion to it. I'm not trying to put that in your head, but I'm telling you that that is in mine. I'm tired. And what we do when we are exhausted is we often make exhausted decisions about how to spend our rest. And we tend to do one of two things. We either fill our days of rest with every activity under the sun. We're like, gotta go, gotta go. I mean, and some of you are the people who go on vacation, you have to plan out every single minute of what you're gonna do. You people are an enigma to me. I love you to death, but you ain't one of my people. I don't know how you all do that. But some of you are that way, and I love that. You're trying to maximize your time off. And then when we do that, we end up with the phrase, you know it well, well, I, I need a vacation from the vacation right? Or some of us, and if this is you, you're my people. 
People are like, what are you going to do on your week off? I'm going to sit in the basement. I'm going to play video games and watch hockey. Like, that's, like me, I'm a staycation kind of guy. I was raised that way. There was no such thing as a vacation when you're on a farm. So that just all, has always made sense to me. I just want to do a whole lot of nothing. But what happens when we lean into that, and what I often find in myself is I just sit around, I do nothing, I watch every Netflix show twice, and then as I get ready to come back into the workplace, back to, you know, the, my call, I'm just kind of feeling blah, like unmotivated. For all the sitting around, there was actually very little rest to that. That is my issue. Neither of these things are very enticing options. For what rest summer is actually intended to be. Summer is supposed to be life-giving. Summer is supposed to be about meaning-making, about building relationships, all the things, all the things that go through our head that are our, our very best selves. We want our rest to contribute to our best selves, and so often it either exhausts us or it wastes us. We're not very good at this as, as a society. And I know you may find yourself on one end or the other, but what actually tends to happen is we kind of swing back and forth. We swing wildly between these two realities, these two different versions of ourselves, two components of a healthy life that never seem to interact with each other. Yes, we want activity in our lives. We want to do things that make memories. And at the same time, I, we want to just lay in bed until 10. Both these things are good and healthy in their place. But when our lives are swinging back and forth between these poles, it never seems that the time we set aside to rest and to rejuvenate actually delivers on the promise that we feel deep in our souls. But there's some good news. That it is often said, and I'm thinking of my father today, who is a guitar player, so forgive me if the guitar finds its way into my sermon today. It is often said that the most critical realities of our lives, the most important things, are not about choosing one end or the other, but rather they operate like a guitar string. The only way to make music is to keep the tension. If you ever tried to play a guitar that's wildly out of tune, you can't get a, can't get a drooping string to make music. You've got to tighten it. And in tightening it, we find music. Only when we vibrate between the two poles do we find our lives creating meaning, beauty, and contributing to others. But summer has this unique way, right, of throwing us back and forth. And if we let it swing, we'll never tune our lives to the beauty that we want it to have. So as you navigate a time that is both restful and full of activity, perhaps we can think differently about our summer by asking ourselves a question. How do you want to end the summer? How do you want to end the summer? Let's begin with the ending in mind. When you roll in here, probably not the Sunday of Labor Day, but the Sunday after, as kids start going back to school, as you kind of get back to a normal work schedule, whatever it looks like for you, how, is, how do you want to end up on that Sunday? Do you want to be exhausted? You want to have some life. You want to have done nothing of value? You want to have some memories. Chances are that whatever it looks like, however you want to end the summer, it'll involve a combination of these two different things. And so maintaining tension between these things is what causes us to have that kind of a summer and a life full of the kind of joy that we seek. But friends, as much as we yearn for this, we will never, ever kind of trip over ourselves into a life of meaning. We'll never just kind of do this on the fly, hoping if we cross our fingers that everything's just going to work out. If we want to land on that kind of life, and yes, by extension, that kind of summer, we have to do it on purpose.
There are places to learn this. I learned it and found a little bit of God's voice in my own ears at the gym this spring. Hence the title of the sermon, God on the Bench Press. The last few years, the combination in my own life of a relatively sedentary job, you understand, I do a lot of sitting, and a busy, unprecedented schedule combined with the ongoing realities in the back of my own head around anxiety and depression, all these things kind of came together. And there is no shame in saying this at all, but it had put some pounds on me. And it all sort of came at me at once. This really isn't what I want. I remember putting on my skates and feeling like I might as well have thrown on a 50-pound backpack and tried to skate doing that. I just could tell in myself there wasn't something right with me. And it wasn't just that I was maybe a little beyond where I personally wanted to be. Part of it was, is this how I want to live even? Is this how I want to pastor? Is this how I want to spend? I'm 38 now. Is this how I want to spend my 40s? I mean, I kind of want to get use out of my knees while I still have them. This isn't going to help that. And so, well, I said it's time to do something about it. Except the thing that you do is the thing that I hate the most. And that is the gym. And yes, it's a more healthy refrigerator. Yes, you might say, even as an athlete, I hate the process of working out. I always preferred to work myself into shape or just play myself into shape. I remember telling my JV baseball coach, he's like, I need you guys in the gym all winter. I'm like, how about I'm in the hay barn throwing hay around? Will that work? And he's like, well, we'll see when you try out. Guess what? It worked. But nevertheless, I just do not enjoy that. It never made sense to me why people enjoyed the gym. I knew there was a purpose, but that purpose always seemed secondary to me. I don't enjoy weights. I enjoy hockey. All right, so I'd rather go do that for an hour rather than just sitting there pushing these metal plates. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't compete for me. For others, it is your world. Again, it's just not mine. But I was like, you know what? I kind of got to do this. Oh, by the way, the other thing I hate is spinach, and I knew I was going to have to eat an awful lot of that. So anyway, feeling more than a little sheepish, I joined in. And you know what I found there? I found a community of people. Remember we talked about week one? I found a community of people who were surprisingly encouraging, helpful, patient, and challenging. I found success. I discovered some new ways of eating that made me feel stronger and more in control of my life. And I started throwing up some weight. Not huge numbers, but way more than I thought my body was actually going to handle. As we come to, the, come to the beginning of summer, I feel great. I feel ready for vacation. I can feel a little bit more energy when I do skate. This discipline and encouragement changed my life. Changed my life. I found God in a place that smells funny and looks even funnier. Discipline changed my life. But this language of discipline is more often at home in the gym or the diet circuit than it is in the church. The word discipline scares us a little bit. And there's good reason for that. Sometimes discipline has been used to very damaging effect on individuals and community of faith all over. And I'm not here to dive into that necessarily, but that's the truth of it. But when we're so scared of this idea of discipline, so scared of this idea of spiritually kind of working out, it's no wonder that people who thrive on discipline find it somewhere else. 
And it's, it's shocking to me that as I have grown in my own faith and discovered all of these ways that we train ourselves to follow after God, why are we ignoring this treasure trove of 2,000 years of experience on this? We're spooked by the idea, and in being spooked by it, we run away from stuff that is of deep eternal value to us. But even if it scares us a bit, faith is still built on the regular patient and disciplined work of spiritual formation. One of the other things I did as I was beginning to work out a little bit more is I picked up a book from a guy, he's an Anglican back in the 50s and 60s. His name is Martin Thornton, who wrote a provocatively titled book entitled Christian Proficiency. And he writes about this very thing, this notion of spiritual formation. He said, the word proficient or efficient is thought to apply only to practical things like industry, agriculture, the army, or professional sport. He says this judgment is quite contrary to tradition. In fact, these four things have all played considerable parts as analogies to the Christian faith. Jesus not only loved his first disciples, but trained them. And there is no reason to suppose that his attitude has altered. It is as well to remember that the word disciple is of the same root as the word discipline. Friends, to be a disciple is to be well acquainted with discipline. And if we are to grow this summer, then discipline can and should play a very important role in getting us to the place where our hearts tell us we can be. Discipline will help us tune our lives in the tension of life and tune ourselves to the note of Christ. Paul understood the value of this. Paul was a man both of deep passion and deep training, and he knew the only way forward was to walk in the tension of freedom and discipline. And so he's speaking to his young protege, Timothy, this book, First Timothy, means so much to me. And so when I read it, I just hear Paul like speaking right to me. But he starts where we left off last Sunday's sermon. He said, there's goodness in the world. He says, everything that God has made is good. Like, quit looking for the ugly stuff. Like, we're good. There's goodness in the world. Lean into that goodness and you'll find a good path to walk. So because God is good, because the world is good, and because we are called to walk in this goodness, he writes to Timothy and says these words which are equally as provocative as that book title. He says, train yourself in godliness. Train yourself. He says, there is no faith of value that does not engage in the disciplined work of formation. And he goes on in the passage to say, you are to teach others to do the same. Others will be nourished on the words of faith and the sound teaching that you have followed. And in this passage, as we read it, there are things that come out that sound a lot like the discipline of a gym or other places where we may practice discipline, perhaps academia or other places. He says, when you do this work, you will be nourished. And discipline starts with a diet. What is it that we're consuming and he calls us to consume the word of faith. He calls us to consume sound teaching. He says, stay away from profane myths and wives' tales. He said, don't eat the junk food that our world gives us. Don't chug the sugary drinks of fad religion and the easy news story. He says, forget all that kind of stuff. And you all know what wives' tales sounds like in church. We tell a lot of them as a community of faith. But he says, instead... Train your souls, consume the stuff that is nutritious. 
Watch carefully what goes into your soul. He says, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to to exhorting, to teaching. There's lots of ways that we get that, but pay attention to the things that go in your eyes and in your ears, the things that ultimately drip their ways down into our souls. He says, swallow the whole nutritious, and yes, sometimes bitter, food of our faith. The gospel looks a little bit more like kale and a little less like oatmeal cream pies. I wish it were different. But nevertheless, yes, sometimes the bite doesn't taste good, but it is good for us. And then once you've got that stuff, chew it slowly, patiently. Extract the nutrition of faith. Extract the nutrition of prayer, scriptures, our liturgy, the sacraments, and our shared life. Don't just whisk through them. Pay attention to them. He goes on to say, physical training is of some value, but spiritual training has value for everything. Now, as an aside, we often read this as a pejorative, you know, well, physical training has some value. No, Paul's actually saying, pay attention to your bodies, too. Any one of us who has known physical ailment will know how that impacts our spirit. Paul completely wraps his arms around this and says, there is no such thing as a separation between soul and body. He's like, pay attention to your body. But he's like, while you're doing that, your soul is where your attention needs to be. And he says, work out. Start throwing around some weight. Encourage one another, accompany one another, inspire others. Build your spiritual muscle, meaning build your capacity for love and for trust. Get involved in something larger than yourself. Yes, it's a toil. Yes, it's struggle. Yes, it'll hurt a little bit. But as it is often said at the gym, and it's so cliche, I even roll my eyes to put it in my own sermon, but nevertheless... There's some truth to it, that pain is weakness leaving the body. These struggles are building capacity in us, individually and collectively. Do not neglect that work. This powerful gift, the life, the faith that you find in yourselves. He says, pay attention to that and work it until it is strong. Get disciplined. And then Paul says, if you do this, If you're willing to go on the plan, if you're willing to consume some good stuff, if you're willing to throw up some weight, if you're willing to take the risk, he says you'll save yourself and your hearers. He is not saying you can earn your own salvation. Slow down on that. What he is saying is that as we live into it, we discover the salvation that God has already put into us. And you know what often happens when we see somebody who is living that life that God has put into them? We tend to get a little inspired by that. And when we do that, other people are like, you're doing something right. Can you tell me about that? And the answer is, yeah, I can. Salvation starts to play out in our communities when we do the work. And we'll find our own life and the life of our community strengthened, focused, and full of purpose. And if you don't want to listen to Paul, go ahead and listen to Jesus, who said, those of you who hear these words of mine and act on them, it's like the person who built their house on the rock. And he said, those of you who hear all these words, who are just kind of getting through the nasty meal that is our faith, it's a little bitter, and who just kind of, who hears these words but doesn't act on them as the person who built their house on sand. Discipline is the way to get us there. So if we're going to have a summer that matters, you cannot leave it to chance. You cannot just kind of hope that just... 
eh, I'm going to stumble all over myself and not arrive there. Have a plan going into summer. If we want a summer that is not only awesome but strengthens us and changes us, we have to have some time and space to engage in practices that strengthen and build our souls. So it is beyond the scope of today's sermon for us to dive into real specifics about this. I may do something later, but for today, that's not our topic. But nevertheless, let me offer some very simple things. Obviously, worship is a place to start. But don't show up to worship as an event or just something that you need to get through during the week. Engage with it. It is a shared activity in which we actively participate. So come and participate. Don't just let it kind of float over your head. We can even step perhaps into a simple order of prayer. This discipline is one of the great things we learned over the past year, and I'll celebrate how Belinda has helped us with that. There's great value in that. If you have an order of prayer, great. If you're looking for one, let's talk. Do something that brings you day by day to the prayers of the church and to the scriptures and to the witness of the community of faith in which we find ourselves. Just like at the gym, have someone with whom you can reflect on your journey and receive wise counsel. Don't go at it alone. Everybody knows if you try to do gym by yourself, you know how many times you go in? You go in like twice in a summer, right? Don't, Don't do that. And do not ask these disciplines to be amazing or explosive or even interesting. Expect it to be exciting for a time and then expect it to settle into the rhythm of ordinariness. Expect it at times to be weird. Sometimes when we're praying, like, have you ever prayed out loud by yourself? It's weird. But it ain't no weirder than some of the goofy stuff a gym asks us to do and nobody has a problem with that. And further, find a way to plug in. Join a ministry team, volunteer at a nonprofit, go somewhere, get a new experience and perspective. These are the slow but powerful ways that we train ourselves in godliness. And perhaps as a plea for each of you, yes, this is coming from me personally, nothing excites me more than walking on that journey with others. Come see me. We'd love to talk about that. I'd love to share what I'm going through too. Let's do it together. Don't do this journey alone. Get alongside folks who can support you, push you, comfort you, and yes, at times, tell you to put some more weight on there because you've got more capacity in you. As As the saint Arnobius once said, nobody's ever heard of Arnobius, but what a beautiful sentiment he had. He said, we lift our hands so that our hearts may follow. We lift our hands so that our hearts may follow. Friends, lift those hands, build those muscles. And when our hands are lifted and our hearts follow after, when hands and hearts are lifted high, we'll find ourselves a church and believers, disciples, strong, courageous, and ready for action. Amen.